Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gospel lesson today is the temptation of Jesus. We've heard that Jesus was tempted by Satan, that Jesus overcame the temptation, and that he relied upon the scripture to do battle with Satan. So what do we take away from this lesson? Is Jesus providing us with an example of how we are to overcome temptation? Certainly there are some who have drawn that conclusion. They may say things like, uh, Jesus is the divine example for us to follow. We're to emulate him. We're to emulate Christ. Uh, We should also rely on God's word to defend ourselves against Satan, just like Jesus did. We should trust God the Father just as Jesus did. Of course, all of these sentiments are all correct. We should indeed emulate Jesus. We should trust in God the Father. We should live our lives by Christ's divine example. And we should rely on God's word just as Christ himself relied on God's word. But what if we don't? What if we don't trust enough? What if we're not trusting God quite enough to live up to this example that Christ has set for us? What if we don't rely on his word only as we ought to? What if we fail to live by the example that he set? Perhaps we should just try harder. Um... Tim Rake, uh, Reverend Rake, who many of you have met, um, gives a good example of this this idea. It's like watching someone who's up to bat and uh, giving them some pointers, you know? Well, just do it like Babe Ruth, you know, just swing and hit it out of the park. Oh, is that all there is to it? Oh, okay, well, great. Well, I'm ready to be a professional baseball player now. But the problem is this. I can't do what Babe Ruth did. I can't do that. I don't have that skill set. So the problem for all of us is if we try to make Jesus an example, guess what? It's going to be an example that constantly and perpetually reminds us of all the times that we don't do as he has done. So we cannot take this lesson and turn it into a law that we're to follow. We can't make this an example that Jesus is setting for us an example of what we are to do. Just try harder. There's no rest for the weary. Oh, and especially now, this is the season of Lent, so time to be extra pious. The devil showed Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Did you catch that? It's not just he took him to a high place in Jerusalem so he could look over. You can't see all the kingdoms of the world from a geographical spot. This was a vision that the devil gave him of all of the kingdoms, kind of like a movie projecting of everything, all in an instant of time. Remember that Satan is potent. He's not omnipotent like God is, but he's potent. He's powerful. Okay, so here's a a thought exercise, and I think this might be humbling. I know it is for me. What if God were to show you in a moment of time all of your sin? I mean, if he gave you 
uh, just in a moment of time, if he gave you just a catalog of everything that you have ever done wrong, or things you've done wrong, or things you haven't done that you should have done, things where you acted, or things where you failed to act when you should have acted. Paul, I think, summarizes the, the uh, battle that we as Christians have when he says, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. There is a struggle that goes on within us, and we're, we recognize that. So in the gospel lesson today, we're certainly given an example to follow, but that's not the focal point of the lesson. All right, I'm going to start with the first temptation of the devil. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You'll recall the temptation of Adam and Eve. The woman saw this, I'm quoting from Genesis. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of it and the fruit, its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. They had plenty. Recall that. In, in the Garden of Eden, they had plenty. They didn't need more food. So it's not even like they were hungry, and yet they still ate of the fruit. You'll also recall the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they grumbled at their lack of food. And God gave them manna. God gave them manna like it came down. <laughs> it's like on the ground. It's just there. Just collect it and eat it. And yet they still grumbled. They even said uh, in Numbers, uh, this is recorded. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? They're questioning Moses. You know, Speaking against God and Moses, the Israelites said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Can you believe, I mean, just pause for a moment. Can you believe that God did not smite all of the Israelites right then and there? That is a testament to his patience and long-suffering with us. The manna from heaven is worthless food to them. Adam and Eve were tested and they failed. And in fact, they were banished into the wilderness. Um, Israel tested, was tested, and they failed. Now Jesus is being tested as he is tempted to turn stone into bread. Turn stone into bread that he might eat it. And he's human, he's hungry. We know that he's hungry. Think about uh, Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But unlike the first Adam... And unlike the Israelites, Jesus didn't succumb to the temptation. He responded with words from Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's just a short little response, but it evokes the larger context of what's happening there in Deuteronomy 8. And I'm going to read that for you. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, God fed Israel and they lived by his word. This worthless food that they spurned was God's word to them 
and they sinned in rejecting it, but not Jesus. Now we come to the second temptation. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, let's first of all disabuse ourselves of the notion that Satan was wearing like a red leotard and he had horns and he was carrying a pitchfork. Okay? And you and then you wonder, well, why didn't Jesus like recognize, oh, that's just that's just Satan. But remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's from 2 Corinthians. So uh, these are these caricatures, you have to kind of put them out of your mind. These caricatures of Satan are meant to mock him. That's not really what Satan looks like. I mean, literally, that's the history of how Satan grew a, a forked tongue and a, and a tail and wore a red suit and had horns. It was to mock him. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and he disguises himself that, this way. And he gives a miraculous vision all at once. He shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of this world. They'll all be yours. And of course, he's deceptive. He wasn't, it's not like he was given this authority. He deceived Adam and Eve into sin. And he, by finagling them into sin, he got authority over this world. And Satan here offers, but this is how you can tell it's Satan, because he's disguised as an angel of light. But listen to what he offers. It's a, an exchange. In legal parlance, it's called quid pro quo. It's Latin, means this for that. It means, you know, I give you this, you give me that. Go back to the Old Testament lesson for a moment, though. Let me read from Deuteronomy 26. God said, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground. And then he goes on to describe what they're to do. But there's not a conditional statement here. He's not saying, if you'll sacrifice your first fruits, I'll give you the promised land. He doesn't do that. He says, I give you the promised land. This is your land. Now, there's things that come along after the fact, but that's a response. That's a response to it. It's not a conditional statement. There is no quid pro quo in, in that relationship. God just gives to them an inheritance. Satan's is different. His is this for that. God's economy, he gives first, and anything afterwards is just a response to his, his benevolence. He doesn't make his gifts contingent on whether or not we will worship him. He just gives. True worship is therefore the response of faith, giving thanks to God, the source of all blessings. Satan is offering a counterfeit here. Worship me and I'll give you all of this. A crass material exchange. And that is oftentimes the modus operandi of this world. Whereas Adam and Eve failed this test, and Israel was also put to the test and failed it. Once again, Jesus passes. And in, uh, he quotes again from Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God alone shall be worshipped. 
And the devil, despite his disguise, is seen for who he is, the deceiver, the one who would draw us away from God to serve him and this world. All right, now we come to the third temptation that's recorded here. Jesus uses the scripture to battle the lies of the devil. Well, Satan can do the same thing, right? I'll use the scripture, which he does. And he quoted from Psalm 91, which is the psalm we were reading today. So it's probably familiar to you. It's also it was our, our invocation today. So it was, uh, we've read Psalm 91 or you've, you've heard it or, or read it twice this morning. And Satan quotes from it again. He will command his angels concerning you, he says. Sorry, let me back up. Satan takes him to the top, to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, go ahead, throw yourself down. Because after all, God says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And, and on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And this is from Psalm 91, as I mentioned. Interestingly, Satan omitted a couple words, the words, in all your ways. In other words, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The way of Christ that God willed is not a way of instant glory. To the contrary, the way that Christ would go would be not to a place where God would protect him, but to a place where God would unleash his wrath upon him. In accordance with God's will, Jesus will go to the cross where he will not receive the Father's protection but will receive his wrath. The promise of God is, the promises of God are those that we uh, put our, our humble trust in, not presumption. We don't presume, oh, I'll just throw myself off this roof because God will protect me. No, we put our humble trust in God, that God will protect me doesn't mean throwing caution to the wind. Jesus responded once again with scripture from Deuteronomy 6 this time. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam did not. Where the people Israel failed, the person Israel did not. In these temptations, Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. He did what we cannot do. This is referred to as Jesus's active obedience. He resisted the temptations and he did not fall into sin as we have done and as we do. Paul says in Romans 5, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Of course, there he's referring to Adam. By Adam's sin, we've all been made sinners. But by the one man's obedience, Christ the many will be made righteous. See, that's Christ's active obedience. Christ was not merely an example for us to follow. He was actively, in resisting these temptations, he was actively earning your righteousness. 
He went out into the wilderness. The wilderness, a place of deprivation. A place that Adam and Eve were banished to. A place that the Israelites wandered, suffered, and were tested. He went out there and he reclaimed that wilderness as God's territory. Christ has stripped Satan of his power to condemn you. In Christ, you're righteous before God. Even while you wander in the wilderness where things go from bad to worse, you are still God's precious child. He has claimed you in baptism. He gives you the bread of life, true life. He gives you the bread of true life. And there's no condition. There is no, if you do this, then God will do that. In Christ, God has given you freely all things without conditions to it. He has just given it to you. And we receive it and say, thanks be to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.